Hello, hello, it's Abigail Eliza. You're about to hear a trailer for The Attic Monologues, a queer urban fantasy podcast with some sprinkled in horror elements. It is so, so fantastic, so I'm just going to let them take it away, but please go check it out. Note to future next. You ever feel the world slipping through your hands? Not like sand, it's not steady enough for that. It's like, it's like you've been pirouetting non-stop for days, for years, head snapping back to that focus point. Your momentum carrying you round and round, pivot, 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 and then all of a sudden you realize you've lost sight of your spot. Your body's moving faster than your head. Any moment you might twist it right off at the neck and the world is just a blur of color and sound and it's so loud, but it's like you're listening to it through water. Does that make sense? I started reading these monologues for fun. They're just a little spooky, you know? Something silly and spooky to practice my acting with, to spend time with Bella. But someone doesn't want me to read them. Like, really doesn't want me to read them. And I can't help wondering, where did they come from? Who wrote them? What do they mean? How far are they willing to go? The Attic Monologues is an urban fantasy horror podcast releasing the last Wednesday of every month. Find us on your podcatcher of choice or wander into someplace abandoned and listen for a voice on the wind. Back again, back again, episode 26, Feast of Fools, part 2. Rio was waiting on my bed. She stared at me with the frown of, I know where you've been, and I sent her back the look of, nothing happened. It wasn't as nice as the tavern you took me to, I said, flippantly, shucking off my cloak and hanging it up. Different atmosphere, I'd rate it lower. Three stars on Yelp. You still know all the best spots. Elias, she began, crying and already sorry at the same time. There was a lot in the way she said my name. Remember who you are. Remember who he is. They didn't recognize us, I continued. It's okay. That is not what I meant, she snapped, slamming the wardrobe door shut behind me. You know what I am saying. There are two sides and you're Prince. You're Prince, she'd said. She'd switched to Rosean for it. It's like betrothed, but affectionate. It's like my love. The one I'm bound to. She'd said it like a curse. 
I'd known the word, though I hadn't learned it from her. Cassian had used it in our brief conversation about our betrothal. I'd made him define it for me, and he had flushed. I'd had to drag it out of him, his ears red, and that was when I'd ended the conversation. He can be swayed, I cut in. We were both red now, that word spoken into existence, but I was nothing if not insufferably stubborn. Without his mother's voice whispering in his ear, he's... True. This was more a hope said aloud than any promise or thing made easily true. But I couldn't pretend I didn't love him at least a little bit. Despite everything. I could hear Rhea's teeth grinding together. I've known him a lot longer than you have, Elias. He's not good. I didn't think then about the people he'd killed, because I'd killed people too. But the tavern song washed through my head, and I was still dizzy with the day. And the more I clung to that hope, the more I believed he could be changed. <laughs> Tell yourself a lie. Turn it into the truth. I know him better than you do, Rhea. All he wants is to be known. Rhea bit her lip, but didn't say anything. Shuffled some papers on a desk in a way that screamed she was annoyed. <laughs> but she didn't bring it up again. And I believed it. There was good in Cassian. And more than that, despite everything, I didn't want to lose him. That evening, I'd slept through most of the day after our night out, and I'd been told not to wander regardless. All of the poets that had come were invited to the castle for a feast. The next day, the competition would begin. But that night was for showing off before it truly mattered. It was for the kings to flaunt their wealth and their son and... Cassian sat at the head of his own table. The king of prophecy, burnished gold and beautiful, an eye to his right. The soldier. The seat on his left was left empty, symbolic, waiting for his poet. The rest of the table filled with guards and soldiers from Cassian's legion and visiting nobles. While the king sat at an elevated table, both on one side overlooking the feast, Cassian and I dined at the long tables with all else. There were a lot of people. <laughs> Cassian informed me that this was only the half of it, that all the no-name poets that hadn't secured a seat were being fed on the steps of the palace, among the marketplace sprawl set up for the occasion. A true festival for everyone around. The thing about poets is that they don't sit still. They're driven by the songs in their head or the feel of the universe around them to move, to keep moving until everything makes sense. Even as we sat, even as we remained in our seats, they didn't. Weaving all around the hall, getting up and talking to their friends, long time not seen. And many came to talk to us, whether they were rich themselves or no, because we were their future. Maybe, possibly, just as much as they were ours. It would have been flattering, I think, if I'd been able to understand what was being said, but every 
thy sovereign, followed by some sweeping lyrical compliment Cassian struggled to translate soured around the smiles I offered in return because all I could think about was how much I hated not knowing, how much I hated myself for taking part in these festivities while Rizea died outside the lavish hall we dined in. There were hundreds of them, girls and boys and folks that were neither or both or somewhere in between, clutching every portable instrument you've seen and half you haven't. That many 17-year-olds in one room was the closest environment I'd encountered to my high school since I'd arrived. 300 teenagers playing political games poised as something else. Sponsors, too, came with their found poet and bowed and made their remarks, old and graying shoving forth the young and bright. Music played non-stop, though. No one at the castle had hired musicians, but this was a party for bards. There were always five or six or ten poets scattered throughout, standing on tables, perching on benches with a half-circle crowded round them, peddling the only wear that mattered that night. Despite my anxieties, kind of loathing, or vague self-loathing really is a more fitting word, it was something spectacular. I was straining my ears to pick out the tune of a girl with a little harp when the hall went silent. A rippling sort of hush that started at our table and spread out. I turned towards Cassian to see what was wrong. A boy had taken the empty seat to Cassian's left. The one meant for the poet. The one meant to remain empty all evening. The hall stared. The boy grinned. A wolf's grin. Sharp teeth and sharp edges staining him and the liar he set on the table. Cassian rose, his shoulders tightening with anger, and the boy stood in tandem with him, dropping into an exaggeratedly low bow, flourishes and all. The two chairs scraped along the floor, echoing around the room. My sovereigns, said the wolf boy, his golden hair flopping out of his face as he stood. Rex sold that. Explain yourself. Cassian ground out Rizane, his words dangerous, loud enough for all to hear. This seat is for the poet, no? The boy asked, deceptively light. He spread his pale hands, saying, I am the poet. Well, say noc poeta. I am... Poet. This seat is for... Poet. Whether this was the poet or a poet, I couldn't tell you. It's vague in Rizayan. Articles don't exist. Intentions are often assumed, which worked in the boy's favor, I suppose. Left his chessboard open enough to not end with his head and the rest of his body in two separate pieces. It was clear what he meant, though. Technicalities aside. He slid around Cassian, liars still flung across the table. The boy stepped around to me, and, unsure of what else to do, I stood too. 
Vatakina Lihida. Your hair is brighter than I had imagined, he said grandly in Rizayan. Do me the honor of letting me tell your and the king's stories. I stumbled something out, fragmented, not quite a sentence about competitions and opportunities and songs. He just smiled and bowed, not unfazed by as much as having expected my shitty Rizane. Which, I, I, I don't know, it was a bit of a shock. There was always a flash of disappointment in people's eyes when they realized how little I truly knew. Cassian cocked his head just slightly, appraising. He gave the boy a once-over before asking his name. Well, demanding. A question delivered as a statement, the words of a king. Your name? Io, said the boy. Io from the far shore. Io, Cassian repeated, measuredly. I hope you're able to spend gold with your stories. Io's eyes sparked. His ploy, however bull-headed it had seemed from the outset, had paid off. But that was Io. Every move was calculated down to the last. He had a nasty habit of making the improbable on paper possible in person. Cunning. That's the word for people like him. Don't worry, he said, and bowed again. I can. And then he was gone, snatching his lyre from the table and disappearing into the crowd. Cassian's eyes followed him as he weaved back the wolf boy already talking anew with people on his way. I knew that look on Cassian. He was running his own calculations, playing out all the risks. And he was liking the results. A thousand bards had descended on the city, all hoping to set themselves apart with a half-schemed somehow. Io from the far shore had just managed it. Another boy, some fifteen minutes later, tried to slide into the poet's seat, too. That boy spent the rest of his evening outside the palace gates. As Cassian walked me back to my room that night, revelries echoing up from the street below, his mind was still turning with whatever plan he'd started concocting when Io sat down beside us. Get some rest, he told me, leaning against my doorframe as I stepped inside. We start listening tomorrow after breakfast. And I want to go exploring tomorrow night. It'll be better if you're with me. His eyes cleared as he pushed away his train of thought, and he grinned. I did promise we'd see everything. A laugh echoed up from somewhere far below. A lively tune filtered through the din of stone, partygoers clapping and cheering as poets challenged each other in the streets. I grinned back and nodded, trying to believe my lies and swallowed down the apprehension bubbling in my throat.
Back Again, Back Again is written and produced by me, Abigail Eliza. If you're enjoying the show, please consider leaving a review on your podcast platform of choice or supporting Back Again, Back Again on Ko-fi at ko-fi.com backslash backagainpodcast, where if you leave a topic in your donation box, I'll write you a ridiculous little limerick to read out at the end of the show. If you'd like to hear more about the show, visit us on Twitter, Instagram, or Tumblr at Back Again Podcast, or on TikTok at Abigail Eliza Writes. Our outro music is Nightingales by Pierce Murphy from the album To Japan, and is licensed under an attribution license. The song was retrieved from freemusicarchive.org. Visit the description of this episode for full copyright information and a link to the page. Sound effect attribution, similarly, can be found in the episode description. If you've made it this far... Thanks for sticking around. So proud of you for making it through your worst days and for finding happiness where you can. You are loved. I hope you have a wonderful day.